and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast-paced world. My name is Brooke McCallery. And my name is Ben McCallery. Welcome to episode three of season three, Power Three. Power of three. Power of three. Three to the power. And we've got a fantastic, powerful guest. We do. Today's episode. In today's episode, I speak with a guest who I absolutely adore, someone who I was lucky enough to meet up with when we were on the book tour road trip last year, and it's Sherry Salata. Now, Sherry is, uh, for anyone who's listening who was an Oprah fan or is an Oprah fan but watched the show, Sherry was the, uh, the executive producer of the last five seasons of Oprah, and she featured really heavily in one of the seasons, I think it was episode uh, season 24 or 26 where it was like a behind the scenes yeah behind the scenes of Oprah. Oprah. It was the final season I think it, it might have been yeah, yeah. Uh, but so so Sherry was also the executive producer but uh, she was also the the president of Oprah's network mm-hmm. and Harpo Studios mm. and we crossed paths kind of funnily a couple of years ago when she sent me an email saying that she listened to the podcast and really enjoyed it and loved the Blue Mountains as a result of her trip out to Australia. Remember when remember Oprah came Oprah out. Came remember that, out was a big, that was a big thing in it's Australia. It's a huge, yeah. huge thing. I think, didn't she have a show at the Opera House? Yes. Yes. I think she did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Sherry and I kind of hit it off and kept in touch. And then last year when I was in LA, we were able to swing our schedules so that we could have breakfast together. Which was really lovely. Yeah, and the kids and I hung out at Malibu Pier. You did, yeah. Name drop that Malibu Pier. (laughs) I don't know why I remember that. I just do. Because it poured with rain. It did. It was very humid. But I had a lovely time having breakfast with Sherry. So, uh, you know, back then I knew that that Sherry had a book coming out uh, and we were going to have her on the podcast way back then. I was going to record it in L.A., Anyway, timing and scheduling got in the way, but it works perfectly because she has actually just released her first book called The Beautiful No. And Sherry and I talk about that, but we also talk about her personal journey, which, I mean, you got the thing you got to understand about Sherry is, yes, it's very interesting that she was the executive producer of The Oprah Show. And she's got some great stories. She does, but that's kind of the least interesting thing about her because she is such a fascinating person. And we talk a lot about what essentially has been like a rebirth of her own over the last five years, going through a process where she essentially hit rock bottom in terms of her health and her mental health uh, when she left the network and what that looks like. I can't even imagine what it would be like. So I mean, yeah, picture this. This is someone with a very high profile job. I mean, it was genuine news when she decided to leave the network. Yeah. And she, I mean, we'll talk obviously about the reasons for that. But I mean, it's it's Mm. enough of an ordeal to decide to uproot yourself from a career that frankly no one else cares about. Mm. Where you've got millions of people who are watching what you're doing. It's um, it's really interesting. So Sherry has a very different take on what it is to slow down and simplify to, I think, any other guest I've spoken to. And it's a, just a genuine delight because she's someone who has spent a huge amount of time with some of the, the leading brains on spirituality and self-help. Yeah, tell me, what, was, what did she say? She was like, oh, yeah, I was talking to... Oh, no, so she... 
<laughs> in the episode, she she says, so I was introduced, you know, to to Deepak Chopra and uh, Marion Williamson, and and here I am thinking, oh yeah, so she means like their books, and I realised that no, she actually meant them as human beings, like yeah. as friends. <laughs> yeah. That's quite but funny. I the funny that. thing about that is she talks, you know, she had all the information. She knew what it what was required to go on this self-help journey and yet mm. couldn't and mm. didn't for the longest time. So, you know, I think it's a really cool conversation that goes into our self-sabotage and our reasons why and just genuinely a fantastic chat. So uh, before you listen to this, I just want to let you know that um, The Beautiful Note is out now. And if you want to learn more about Sherry, so she has created a website called thebeautifulno.com. And over there, you can actually find a, a companion workbook if you do get your hands on a copy of her book. She has a, a download that takes you through some exercises and it's a really cool companion to go with the, the book itself. As always, for the show notes for this episode, you can head over to slowyourhome.com slash season three. And I guess there's nothing more to say than we hope you enjoy the episode. Please do. Sherry, hello. How are you? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad to be with you. This is a dream. It I'm is. on your show. I'm so we've been we connected a long time ago and I was lucky enough to meet you uh, and catch up for a coffee when I was in LA for the book tour last year. And we spoke about it then. And finally, you know, almost a year later, it's happening. You're here. I'm delighted. I'm, I'm here. And I remember I was I was a fangirl. So I kind of fangirled you and I emailed you through your website. You did. And I was like, please come on. And you came on our podcast. I did. And we, we had a rip roaring time. And it was my secret dream on my bucket list to be a guest on your show. Here well, I am. Well, you've just made my day. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and we've got so much to chat about. I guess I just want to dive straight into it. Because, I mean, looking at your career, which I've just outlined very briefly in the introduction, you've really been living anything but slow up until a couple of years ago. <laughs> you know, you like, truly, you worked for one of the most beloved brands in the world as president of the Oprah Winfrey Network. And you executive produced the show, the Oprah Winfrey show. Uh, and I can only imagine that nothing about that work allowed you to live slowly. Um, but that was then and this is now and things are very different, aren't they? I mean, you've changed your life significantly by finishing up oh. at the network in 2016. So can you tell me what was the catalyst for that enormous change? Well, here is the truth. The truth is, you know, it was high time. And um, I, I often think to myself this, this epiphany I had that I, I had manifested the career of my dreams, but not the life of my dreams. Mm. And um, that is a very sobering thing when you realize that you have a dream come true career, but not a dream come true life, especially when you've been in the business of making dreams come true right. for other people. And you've been in the business of personal growth for decades and you have learned from every expert, you've taken notes. There, there's not one more bit of information I needed to have a full, rich, deep, fully lived life. And yet I, I, I didn't make those choices. And I find that so interesting that you had all the information and it's sort of like a, 
you know, a, a spectacular example of what so many of us do. We know the things to do. We know what changes we should be making in order to shift what we want to shift. And yet, you know, we find ourselves stuck still. Uh, yeah. You know, and do you think that as you started to make this shift towards changing the way you were living, do you think you almost had too much information? Oh, gosh, that's interesting. Well, listen, I think you can go on the information hunt. You know, I, I often think to myself, I, I could have been on the seeker path for the rest of my life. Mm. What I decided in 2016 to be on the finder path and and move myself off of stop the seeking. Let's do some <laughs> let's do some finding, <laughs> um, you know, for me and everybody else, everybody's story is different. But here's the truth for me that it was easier for me. And this is something probably that got started way back when I was little. I really only wanted to do things I could get A's at. Right. And, and, you know, the career thing, once I got the career thing sorted out by 35 years old, then, cause I was 35 when I started at the Oprah show, I, I wasn't just out of college. I'd already had a bunch of calamity leading up to that. But once I got that figured out and that was going so well, it was where I put all my focus, where I chose to put all my focus because there were other areas of my life that didn't come as easy for me. And, um, even, even with the information coming at me, it was always getting put off to my someday folder. Mm. Someday you're going to get this health and wellness thing under control. Someday you're going to have the love life of your dreams. Someday you're going to like, you know, pull it all together. But, you know, right now, you know, lots of validation for my career and, um, it was easy for me to default to it. Mm. So what was what was that like that that moment that you realized okay well someday actually is today. Yeah, well, first of all, it's real good. It's it's real good when when you when you begin to take the steps when when you have that that reckoning with yourself looking at the uh, the landscape of your life or I like to call it your your lifescape. And when you you have that moment of reckoning and I did a a very multi-day thorough reckoning and, and made some decisions, um, some deep decisions about how I was going to move forward in each area of my life. Gosh, it feels real good because it's almost like, you know, you've leaned into, um, happiness. You've decided to make your life the joy ride that it's supposed to be. You know, all that information I had stored along the way from the best of the best, the wisest people on the planet, you know, now I had, I, I was willing to put it into practice and use it. So, you know, you feel a little bit of relief, like, oh, now I'm going to finally get this together. Right. You sort of moved beyond the fear or through it. And for sure. Yeah. I love this idea of the reckoning that you, you created and you went through and you write about it in your book really beautifully, actually. What did that process look like for you, the, the reckoning? You know, you, it was a multi-day yeah. period that you... Deep dive. Exactly. Yeah. You chose to dive really deep into things that you had previously busied yourself away from. That's right. And some of the things were really embarrassing. Um, you know, I had let my, uh, I had let my weight get totally out of control again, but in a 
big, big way. And that was embarrassing. How I really felt about my body, I had never really spoken to anybody about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to, to just put it there in, in, in print, um, that was, that was very torturous for me. Um, and, and other areas in my life where I had really, I had just let my dreams kind of gather dust on the shelf. But I will tell you the, the one thing about the reckoning I'm talking about, it's different than that mean, nasty voice in your head that has driven most of us, most of our lives where you're not enough and you're too fat and you're not lovable and you're not okay. And you're not worthy. You're not enough of this, too much of that. Mm -hmm. Instead, I knew that if I let that voice get anywhere near my reckoning, it would be fatal. Mm. It would be just so detrimental. I might never recover. So I, I summoned up what, you know, I summoned up what I call the tender voice. And it's the voice that I speak to, to my English bulldogs, Bella and Kissy. <laughs> it is a, a voice that begins with the word beloved. Um, it has, it's filled with love and compassion and care and tenderness. And that is that is the persona, the voice that I used to look at the areas of my life. And when I did it with that tender um, point of view, when I did it with those tender glasses on, it really was a worthy, worthwhile, and life-transforming excavation, mm. which is very different than just beating yourself up in your head all day long. Exactly. And that's what I love so much about your approach was that you you intentionally chose gentleness with yourself and, and tenderness and love, even when it would have been so easy to default back to the nastiness yeah. that we all have in our heads. And I mean, just listening to you talk about it, it gives me a lump in my throat because that's something that I know I struggle with a lot and have, and, you know, I, I'm, I feel like I'm getting better at at speaking to myself in a different manner, but um, it takes guts to do that. It takes absolute bravery to front up to the way we have spoken to ourselves and and choose different, you know, right. to choose love. It, it really, it, it's really um, something that makes people uncomfortable, I think, because we, we don't necessarily have that modelled uh, for us. Now, for sure, it's new territory, Brooke. It's it's new territory for us to put a priority on on just waves of love and compassion for our own selves. You know, sometimes and and honestly, there there are times when I have to like go meditate or go have a chat with myself because I'm like, whoa, whoa, what's happening here? Why why is that other voice back? Mm. Because those are very very ingrained patterns. And, and the loving pattern, that loving, tender voice, that's new territory. So it's really practice. And um, I remind myself, and I do not do it perfectly, but I remind myself that the life of my dreams involves consciousness. The life of my dreams is completely inhabited by that tender voice. The joy ride that I know I'm supposed to be living has to be led by that tender voice. And I just constantly try to soothe myself or call myself back to consciousness. It's a choice that you're making. You know, yeah. it, it, it is really an intentional choice. And I, I love that essentially what you're doing there is, is 
going forward, you know, from, from, from now, moving forward through the future and, and picturing perhaps not the specifics of what you want your life to look like, but the voice you want to guide you and, you know, what that wants you, what you want that life to feel like, you know, full of joy and full of kindness and happiness and consciousness. And I think that, again, is something that so many of us falter at, you know, because it, it sometimes it feels so separate to the way we're living at the moment. It does. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, there's, you know, there's a little bit of sometimes we're raised to believe that being kind, kind and caring to ourselves is self-indulgent, yes. Oh, yes. you know, or that it's kind of like, um, it's a little too sweet, a little too optimistic, a little too, um, like people use the expression Pollyanna. Yeah. And, you know, what, what I've come to learn is, you know, I, I'll leave cynicism for the cynics. I'm not sure that's the way to happiness. I, I don't really see that as the happy path. And all I know is that when I decided that happiness was going to be my compass, all of a sudden, and, and then I began to practice that decision that I'm going to lean in the direction of happiness. I'm going to choose it and I'm going to do what I love with people I love for people I love. Boy, oh boy, life gets happier. Isn't that something? Yeah, it's incredible. And what you just said uh, about, you know, leaving cynicism for the cynics, it reminds me of this uh, Johnny Sun quote. And he said, I think people who ridicule positivity think positivity is easy. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I'm here for that because essentially I think what you're saying is it, it, much much similar can be said for this idea of digging deep and asking questions and choosing happiness and choosing kindness on the outside, it's so it seems for some reason easy for people to ridicule it, uh, but it's not the easy path. I mean, we've taken the easy path, and the easy path doesn't necessarily get us where we want to go. You know, it, it really requires us getting comfortable with discomfort first. Yeah, and and I think uh, you know, for me, when I look at when I've been cynical, so let me not talk about other people. When I've been cynical, it's usually because I'm afraid mm. that good stuff isn't coming my way, or I'm afraid, or I'm in a blue period where I feel like nothing's going to work out, and and I, for some reason, I've taken my eye off the ball that I actually am creating this whole right. little life lifescape of mine um, by my choices and my decisions, but. Listen, I'll send I'll send love to the cynics because, you know, I think, you know, every time I hear something cynical, I'm called back to optimism as a as as a force, as a force for good, mm. as a force for light, as a force for transcendence. And I want to ask you about your spirituality. Um, yeah. you know, because it's something that you've written in your book is that it it centered, it has developed obviously over the years. But your spirituality now is centered on this idea of self-responsibility. You know, that is essentially what you've just been talking about. We, re right. we are responsible for our choices in every moment. You know, and I was having a conversation with someone recently and she said, we, we can't choose what happens to us, you know, so we can't choose, we can't decide on the pain that comes into our lives, but we can choose how we react to it, whether or not we invite suffering into our lives or not. Um, and I see much of that in, in what you talk about as you, as you move through this process. I do think, though, people bristle at this idea that we have choices in everything. Did I mean, is that something that you had to come to terms with? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, basically, I, so I was raised Catholic. Um, in fact, I had one of my 
most lovely spiritual experiences at the oldest church in Sydney. I, that it blew me away. It was, oh, wow. there was it was filled with such reverence. But at, at a certain point for me, the traditional road of religion wasn't wasn't resonant. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I began to walk the aisles of of bookstores looking for like where's my language, mm. what's my path, and you know that was one of if not the greatest company benefit at the Oprah Winfrey show, I felt like I was being paid to develop and build a spiritual life. And when, when all of a sudden I began to be introduced to, um, you know, Deepak Chopra and Marianne Williamson and Wayne Dyer and, uh, Louise Hay and, um, and the list goes on and on there, there all of a sudden was this idea of quantum, you know, the, the quantumness of our lives. And, I will tell you this, I don't understand it all, but I am, I am um, giddy with the mystery and the wonder of it and, and the invisible threads and what I can absolutely see. My, my primary spiritual teacher these days is Esther Hicks, mm-hmm. Abraham Hicks, mm-hmm. and it is very much you create your own, own reality. Um, ask and it is given, um, you know, you don't have, there's nothing to join. Nobody's bossing you around or, you know, threatening you with, you know, things, bad things to happen in the afterlife. But it very much is honoring the mystery and the quantumness of life and understanding that, that we are energy. We're energy systems, we're energy fields that are, we're bouncing off one another. We're drawing one another into our lives. I mean, look at you. I drew you right into my life with thinking all these great thoughts about you and really like, I really, really want to meet her. And next thing you know, you and I are in Malibu um, having breakfast. I mean, that was pretty amazing. That was what, amazing. A, pow- what a powerful creator I am. <laughs> but, um, you know, um, the, but, but here, here's my, my, my overarching belief is this, that's my personal way. Mm -hmm. That's the way that works for me. That's the way I'm practicing. But what I've come to see is all these paths and all these languages just give us all the opportunity to find out what path resonates for us because we're all on our way to the light at Mm. our own time in our own way. And boy, did I get a, I had a front row seat to, um, you know, some of the most interesting people at this day and time in our, in our, in our world that are coming forth with interesting thoughts for us to consider. And I just feel my, my heart is so open to all of it. Mm. I love then that you were, you said, you know, I was introduced to Deepak Chopra and Marianne Williams and, Williams and, and then you, you know, I thought you were reading their books. I'm like, oh no, she was physically introduced to them all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Both. Exactly. Both, you know, yeah. I was like, I, I was, you know, in very, very, very um, in, in deep respect of all those people. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think, um, I mean, what a rich education in the oh, work for gosh. the work that you're doing in your life now. For sure. Now, I guess for me, the flip side of so much of the changes um, that I've made in my life over the past eight years, which is in some sense, a, it's a striving, it's a, a quest, it's a, an ongoing process. One of the things that I've found some um, tension with is when I feel like I'm pushing too hard into that, I don't, I don't allow myself contentment in the now. You know, I don't allow myself joy uh. in the present moment. 
Do you ever find that there is a, a you know, a, a, a tension there or a balance that you try to strike between finding joy in the present moment and working towards this bigger thing that, that you're continuing to, to work towards? I so do. I mean, that is, that's such so beautifully put. I mean, that's how I experience it as tension. Mm. I'll be like, where's this tension? Why do I feel like right in my bread basket? What in my diaphragm? What is this tension? Usually for me, you know, the thing I have to really stay vigilant and conscious about is my, my, my former patterns of making things happen. Right. You know, as a, as a producer, oh my God, it was like, make it, you, you get enormously rewarded for making things happen and making things happen. And, you know, some days I would think of that as like literally pushing boulders uphill. And that is not in, in the second half of my life, because that's really what I've decided is that, okay, now in this day and age, you may live to be a hundred. What is the second half of your life? What are you creating? Who do you want to be? What is the being state of this second half? And, you know, it's one of the reasons why I was so drawn to you that I want to be in that present moment. I want to be magnetic. I want to like um, be in flow. I want to draw in the right people and opportunities and, and moments all while being in that present moment. So when I feel tension, it's because I have a book coming out mm-hmm. or I, we, we have, you know, a new season of podcasts or our digital platforms being overhauled. And it's like, you know, I feel deadlines. And the minute I start to like revert to my old vocabulary and my old way of looking at things, I feel instant tension because I know I'm out of alignment with what I say I want. Right. And I mean, that level of awareness is something for me that I've needed to develop. It hasn't come uh, naturally for me, you know, yeah. to, to have that. And it's a physical awareness of, of these sensations. And yeah. I love the way you described it, you know, right in the breadbasket. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it's it's sure. true, you know, and if you tap into that and check in, uh, it, it's one of the most transformative and, and, and simple tasks that we can we can give ourselves, I think, to make sure that we're, as you say, in alignment. And and perfectionism, really, in 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 this lean to present moment living, perfectionism has no place. Uh, man, absolutely. <laughs> so it's like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling tense right now. Now I'm being conscious. I'm being in the present moment. Um, it it happens to me sometimes when when um I have my you know middle of life waking up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden it's like oh my gosh what do I have to do tomorrow what's on my calendar there's so many things and it's like you work for yourself sister just ease on down the road but but here's the truth and and I think you're gonna agree with this even in my staff life where I worked for other people which was most of my life um I still could have employed all kinds of slow practices into my right. life. You know, there's, there really is no excuse. I mean, there's, there's no one way around it. Like, boy, people let me off the hook really easy. You know, I'm so busy. Sherry's so busy. Sherry's so busy because, you know, they, they were all fine and dandy if I was working eight hours a week for Oprah. Um, they might've complained if it was some, you know, personless other kind of brand, <laughs> but you know, it really gave me the perfect excuse to stay unconscious about the state of my entire life, mm. for sure. Yeah, and that's a that's an interesting realization I think to make because we have endless excuses for not shifting 
Um, And, okay, let me ask you this. I, I had a question recently from someone who said, I feel like people who make these changes in their lives, the stories that we hear anyway, typically only do so after reaching a crisis point, whether it is health, mental health, relationship, financial, some other crisis, you know, and, and people that this is the story and the, the format of the story that has taken hold is that we need to hit rock bottom before we recognize, right. you know, do you A, think that's true? And if, if you don't, do you think that there is a way that someone listening who's like, I don't want to hit rock bottom, <laughs> yeah. I want to make changes now, is there a way that we can manufacture that, that um, perspective that these crises bring and, and use that now? Well, listen, I think you can be, yes, 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 yes. And I watched it my entire life, Mm -hmm. especially at the Oprah show. Here's how you do it. When you hear someone else's story like mine, take it seriously. Mm. Like, Mm. like, go, oh my gosh, let me learn from Sherry. You know, Sherry is going to be you know, she's going to share her red flags. Like here, here are the, here are the warning signs or somebody else, you know, there, when when people step up and take their skin off, you know, that is the rest of our, for us, it's the opportunity for us to say, yeah, I can understand how that happened. I could see the seeds of it being sown in my own life. And I'm going to, I'm going to start early. Mm. I'm going to turn that story around early. You know, I think, I think that really, really wise people are willing to learn from other people's mistakes and they will relinquish the need to make them all themselves. (laughs) That's what I'm signing up from here on out. I'm going to learn from other people's mistakes. Yeah. Let's not feel like we need to live them all personally. That's right. That's right. (laughs) So something else uh, that you write about, and I mean, it's in the title of the book, The Beautiful No, is this idea of learning to say no to things and also on the flip side, learning to say yes. And I think this, this idea of kind of tied to this is, is people pleasing, um, and always wanting to appear that we're doing the right thing for other people. Uh, but also it's attached to the idea of busyness. It's attached, which is attached to ego. I mean, how did you learn to make no a part of your vocabulary? Because I think women particularly do struggle with this idea of learning yes. to say no and, develop, and and developing and defending boundaries. Well, yes. And all that is true and it continues to be true of me as well. Mm-hmm. So I'll start with, with that admission. But I will start by saying um, I had this moment and, and yes, the beautiful no is the title story in the book and it's about how I got my heart broken with a big fat no right before someone at the Oprah show opened an old closet and found my resume and called me into freelance. And I call it the beautiful no because I needed needed to make friends with no. Mm. I needed to understand that some of the most significant no's I've ever gotten in my life were opened a doorway or a path for this the most magnificent experiences that I've ever had in Mm. my life. So once I made friends with that no, what I realized is when we say no to other people or other things, we're providing that same beautiful no for everybody else and and opening the door for them to have their their own magnificent experiences. Now, translating 
that beautiful no down to your own life when you're looking at setting boundaries and things like that. Listen, I'm still working on that. I don't like disappointing people. I don't like upsetting people. I don't like people being mad at me. But in my quest, in in this new, this new life, this new joy ride I'm creating, what I can see is the key to it is not betraying myself. Mm. It is literally being so trustworthy that I can completely count on myself not to betray myself, not to put myself into situations I don't want to be in, even if it's as simple as a dinner I don't want to go to or a party I don't want to attend. And I am, I'm really solemnly committed to improving my record on that and improving my, the depth of my ability to trust myself because that, that there is no question that has not been the, the quickest, easiest change for me. Right. I, I really do like the perspective shift there of not necessarily making the word no about scarcity or fear, uh, right. both for you as the person saying no or receiving the no. Uh, but also the person who you're saying it to, uh, but making it about abundance, you know, the opportunity, what what comes right. next because of this. And I think that that's a really helpful way of, of shifting our fear of the word no, I think. Um, really, and understanding where it originates. For most of us, it originates where we would get punished if we said no to our parents. Right, right. You weren't allowed to say no when you're little you know, in, in most of our cases. So you'd get punished. So we, you know, we come by it, honestly, Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you couldn't say no to your teachers. You couldn't say no to the principal. There were authority figures that you could not say no to without being punished um, or you'd be punished. So, you know, we come by it very genuinely, but now it's like in our adult state, it's time for us to really be our own most trustworthy stewards you know, if, if, if nobody is going to care more about my life and my happiness than me, nobody, mm, mm. if I'm doing it right. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's something that I think we need to take ownership of. And yeah, I love that. Your most trusted steward of your life. Now you've recently made a shift, a physical shift away uh-huh. from LA. Tell me about that. Oh my gosh. I mean, it, it came on like rolling thunder. And next thing I knew, I had moved to Napa Valley, which is as quaint and charming and peaceful and slowed down as any place I've been since college. I mean, it's like my little college town in Iowa City um, that I love so much. Maybe I'm maybe on some psychic level, um, I'm trying to recreate that. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was like all of a sudden I was selling my my big house on the east side of LA and I was looking around for another place and all of a sudden I was like, I think I'm done here. I think I came here. I think I did what I was going to do here. I think I'm done here. And now if I could live anywhere, what's my someday place? And my someday place was always Napa Valley. So it, here I am. I, you know, I went through the tumultuousness of a, of a big, huge move and I still have some boxes to unpack, but I'm kind of dedicating myself to really inhabiting slow, Brooke. Mm. That uh, gives me goosebumps. I'm going to grow my own crops, girl. You are. I'm growing, 
I'm growing my own crops in That's the backyard. Amazing. I have planter boxes being built right now. In fact, they're they're out there building them right now. And yeah, I I want to dial up some new right. some new experiences. So planting crops, what what other do you have any other new experiences that you are looking to develop? Well, I did. I, you know, I talk about it in the book. I, I, I spent eight months in, in weekly Italian lessons mm-hmm. and, and with my, my, my books, my Italian books a little dusty right now. I kind of set that on hold, but I want to bring that out. I really have a, a dream to, to live in Italy for like a three month stint and do some writing. So I'm going to, I'm going to continue to explore that. Um, and listen, growing my own crops, I don't even know what I'm getting into. <laughs> it's not like I have any skills. I mean, I planted flowers in pots when I lived in Chicago and I watered them. This, I have a feeling, is a, is a whole different kit and caboodle. So I, I'm, I'm going to have to do some serious studying and, and some real learning. And let me think if there's anything else. I mean, this whole small town thing for me is new. Right. Well, Chicago, LA, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> totally it's, different. It's super new. And so, um, you know, in those big cities, it wasn't like you really met your neighbors or you met new people. And now it's like, I go to, I go to my bank and my banker's so sweet, Janet, she's like, come by Saturday for coffee. Aww. Like whether I have banking or not, <laughs> just to stop in. Just to hang hi. out. <laughs> And I was like, well, this is a very different situation than the big city. Uh, I think with, with growing crops, I, I'm let me know how you go. Because for me, honestly, growing food, even if it's something as simple as some lettuce or some cucumber uh, or even just like planting a lime tree, it was so transformative for me. And I've had a few episodes of the podcast where I've spoken to people about it. And, um, you know, I still haven't necessarily completely put my finger on why but there is such joy in putting a seed in the ground and watching it emerge and watching it grow and you know it's it's mindfulness in action you know it really is teaching us how to pay attention to the tiniest most beautiful and delicious details in front of us and and very connected it just kind of connects your your physicality back to the earth in LA, like, you know, I, I always lived in apartments in Chicago. So in LA I had a yard Mm. and I had four lemon trees. Oh my God. There was nothing. You could not come to my house without getting slices of lemon into everything you were doing. Cause I felt like I'm sharing my bounty. Right. Right. (laughs) Here's some lemon slices and take some home with you. I'm sharing my bounty. So yeah, I feel, you know, I, I can definitely feel this nature thing besides the fact that I live between two mountain ranges in a valley where it's very um, there, even even though it's there's a world class thing going on here in terms of winemaking and food, um, there still is a very rustic rural quality, and the physical beauty is is jaw dropping, and I just drink it in. I mean, there's not I, I just go outside and just breathe it in. Because I can feel it sinks into your pores when you let nature like work to help you heal. Absolutely. And what I've discovered from myself is that it helped me to heal uh, on an individual level. You know, just planting some trees, watching them grow, watching the flowers bloom, like day in and day out, making time to pay attention to those tiny little details. Uh, And 
over time, it's also shifted the way I live in the world. You know, I spend much more time in nature, bushwalking and hiking now. And that, again, has shifted, um, you know, my priorities and my understanding of the impact that we're having and and what I can do personally to start protecting this thing that I love so much. Oh, my gosh. All of a sudden, then Earth becomes, she becomes like a real, a real uh, sentient being. Mm. You know, like you can, you just feel yourself shifting and changing. And and I've been as unconscious as anyone about all of that at various times in my life. But I can just feel, it's like I'm being called. I'm being summoned to a new level of understanding of this, this give and take we have with you know, the air and water and the earth and, you know, our fellow, our fellow creatures and, you know, and, and each other. And it's adding such a richness to my life. And I'm, I'm just, it feels like magic. And I'm really um, eager to see how that continues to blossom for me. So am I. I'm really thrilled about all of these changes, Cherry. I mean, just listening to you, you light up talking about it. It's, it's really wonderful. Yay. Oh. Now, can I ask you a um a practical question as we wrap up yes. begin to wrap up our time? So, for someone who's listening to this uh conversation and they are feeling drawn to start making changes, perhaps even setting aside some time and some headspace and heart space for a reckoning of their own. I mean, aside from listening to the stories and taking them seriously, what can people do to practically begin this process of reevaluation, excavation, reinvention? I would here would be my my beginning suggestions to that. Try little things. Mm. Little things that are super easy, build on success. And little things for me was like, okay, you know, drink 80 ounces of water a day. And I know that sounds like such a silly thing. How is that going to change how happy you are? And how is that going to change your life? You'd be shocked as you start to put those little practices like um, five moments of breathing in silence, you know, uh, uh, 80 ounces of water, um, all the, you know, a a 20-minute walk Mm. after dinner. Those things start to stir up something that feels a lot like hope the energy of hope that you can elevate. You start to uplift yourself with those little practices. And next thing you know, you're like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to really think about what are my dreams? Like, like, you know, when you, that, that word, the word dreams gets, has been, has been overused and sentimentalized. Mm. But, but the way I see it, dream as a verb and dream as a noun. The process of dreaming is the process of creation. So if you want to begin to transform your life, you've really got to start to start dreaming it up. You've got to think about your health and you've got to create your health dream and create your love and relationship dream and create your sanctuary dream and really start allowing yourself the upliftment of what it feels like in the cells of your body when you start to dream again. Because all of a sudden you start feeling hopeful, like, wow, well, maybe things can be better. And look at me. I had my water today. I did my walk and everything just starts to rise. 
And if you can get the beginning of that rising, it all starts to kind of, um, you start to inspire yourself to keep going. Right. Because I think that that's an interesting point, actually, inspiring yourself and developing that pathway to hope yourself. You're not waiting for someone else to light the fire yeah. in you. And that's it's so a, important. It's a personal plan. Yeah. You know, listen, I, I wasted a lot of years trying everybody's program. And, and I'd try everybody's program like a suit of clothes. And what I finally realized, for God's sakes, in my mid-50s um, at long last was I need to be the one to create the Sherry program. I'm in charge of the Sherry program. It's a personal program. And you've got the Brooke program. And we're going to expose ourselves to all kinds of thinking and ideas and modalities. But in the end, we're going to decide what practices, what kind of thinking, what kind of exercises. We're going to decide what our personal recipe is for the lives of our dreams. Mm. There's no one size fits all, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, Cherry, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I'm I'm genuinely so thrilled that we were able to make this work um, and so grateful to you for the way you've shared and how, you know, again, like like in your book, you're so open and honest and um, generous. I'm so grateful everybody listened. I really, you know, a, a big hello to all of your listeners, you know, all around the world. I mean, this, this show is, this show is sacred ground, man. It is sacred ground. And I, you know, from afar, I was drawn to you. And I'm so glad I was able to draw you to me, Freck. I'm so glad we could make it happen. And I cannot wait to come and visit you in Napa Valley either. (laughs) Yes, I can't wait to come to see you in Australia. Yes, please. Uh, But thank you so much for your time. uh, And we'll chat soon. Yes, thank you. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.